0: Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the chapter that we read, Hebrews chapter 4, and reading for our text, verse 16, the last verse. Hebrews chapter 4, the last verse, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16, and it is specifically upon my spirit the last part, find grace to help in time of need. God's children have times of need, and there is a provision in the Lord Jesus Christ for them, that is the grace that he has to give and that is to be obtained through prayer in times of need. The chapter that we have read follows on from chapter 3 where there is the example of the children of Israel going through the wilderness journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And yet there was many that never entered into that Promised Land. They did not enter into the rest of Canaan. And the Apostle uses this as a warning, as an example to us. And we have in the latter verses of chapter 3, The question in verse 17, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? And the reason why they could not enter in because of unbelief. May we never think lightly of unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. Unbelief is the reason why countless millions never enter into glory. However, the Apostle then uses this as a warning to us. Many of the things that happened in the Old Testament were for our learning. And often they're taken as examples that we shouldn't sin in the same way and we shouldn't provoke God in the same way. They held up to the New Testament church to the end of time as living examples, solemn examples of those who entered first upon the way came into the wilderness, came out of Egypt, but never entered into Canaan. And it is a warning to us, and this is taken up right at the beginning of the chapter we read. Chapter 4, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it, even seem to come short of it. Even if there be just a hint of coming short of it. And what is evident from the chapter before, it could have been seen by what happened in the wilderness that these would not endure to the end. And so we are told in the Psalms that the Lord gives us grace and glory. The two things go together grace here below and glory hereafter. If we are to have glory or eternal rest in heaven, then we need God's grace here below. Not only saving grace as quickened into spiritual life, but we also need to be kept in the way, and we need to be strengthened in the ways of the Lord and not left to unbelief and to doubting the Lord through the way. Now before we come to some main points this morning, I just want to notice a few things that where we may fear to come short, that if these things are with us, there's three things that we will then endure and we won't come short at the last. The first thing to note is in verse 2, Hebrews 4 verse 2, it is that we should profit through the word preached. This is put in a negative way with the children of Israel, that the word of God did not profit them, and the reason is told that it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. You think of the many times that the word of God was given to the children of Israel, given in the Passover, that those that just saw the Passover as a lamb slain and sheltering beneath it and never looked past that to Christ, that did not profit them at all. All of the sacrifices through the wilderness that did not profit them if they didn't look past the blood of bulls and of goats and see the coming Lamb of God. If they would have been at Mount Sinai and they saw the broken law, the broken tables first, and then the restored tables and put those restored tables in the ark, which is a type of Christ, Christ fulfilling the law, If they saw all of that but never looked past it and saw the Lord Jesus the Son of God, the seed of the woman that was to fulfill the Law, then that word did not profit them. It was just rounds of dead service. It was just what some of them said what a weariness it would be. And if we couldn't see what it was pointing to, I think we would think the same. All that Bloodshed, all those sacrifices, all of that labour and that work, and you think, what's the purpose of it all? But if that purpose was to show forth the Lord Jesus, then that was the end in view of those things, of the Word of God that directed in all those things. And so with us as well. If the Word did not profit them and... It was not mixed with faith, so it is with us in the gospel day. The question is, does the word of God profit us? Does it do us good? Do we go out from the house of God? It may be searched, it may be the word has found us out in our sin, it may be found us out in just coming backwards and forwards to the house of God, and yet, no life in our souls. We've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We never had our heart burn within us like those two in the way to Emmaus as the Lord opened up the scriptures in all things concerning Himself. So, one thing that will ensure that we do endure unto the end and we don't come short is if we are profiting through the word of God. We are feeding upon that word. You think in a natural way, if we were sitting down meal after meal, and that food did not profit us, it did not do us good, and there are some people it doesn't, they can't digest it properly, they react to it, and they get thinner and thinner, And it it doesn't profit them. We need not only to eat that food, but it must do us good. It must profit us. And this is what is set before us here. We come not just to learn of doctrines, not just to hear the word, but to feed upon the word. That was what the Lord said to Peter, feed my sheep and feed my lambs. And we are to feed, except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. And that can be told here, you don't have to wait to get to the borders of the grave to know whether or not we are feeding on the word. And that is the first thing, that if that is so with us, then... Uh, We need not fear that we are coming short at the last. The second thing is in verse 3, if we believingly enter into rest. He says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The Lord, from the foundation of the world, has chosen His people. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There is no uncertainty in the salvation of God. Those that were given Him of the Father will be saved. They they cannot they cannot not come into heaven at last. They must do. But for us, we are walking that path. That we are walking these things out, and so the rest that is spoken of here in the scriptures there are several rests that are spoken of we have right at the beginning the seventh day which is referred to here and uh, one day in seven sanctified set apart as a day of rest the children of Israel entering into Canaan was their rest from their wilderness journeys we have then the Christian Sabbath when our Lord rose from the dead on the first day of the week and that is the day that he appeared to his disciples and that is to be the day of rest. We have then the rest of heaven which shall be at last for the people of God, no more toils with Satan, with sin or this world or the labour of it. We have another rest and that is the rest of the gospel and that is what is referred to here because it says that those that have entered into, uh, in verse 9 in chapter 4, there remaineth therefore rest to the people of God, and then the secret then is in verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So he's going back, to the creation, God created the world in six days, then he rested because it was a finished work. When the Lord suffered on Calvary and he rose again, he ascended up into heaven, he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. He rested because that work was finished at Calvary, the work of redemption. And so with us in a gospel day, The true rest is to cease from our own works. By nature we are under the covenant of works and we will naturally try to obtain heaven by our own works and by our own deeds. And it is a labour, it is a toil and it will never achieve heaven, it will never get there, it's hard work. Our Lord says, "'Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" And that rest then is to see believingly and by faith so clearly that our Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and made it honourable. He has paid our debts. He's ascended into heaven. And when we see that, then we realise there is not a work for us to do to fulfil the law. Christ has done it for us. There's not a work for us to do to pay the debt due to our sin because Christ has paid that debt. And so it is entering into the rest of believing truly in Christ and what he has done. The labour the, and the unbelief, it, it arises in that way. We do not trust Christ for what he has done. We think that we need to add our part to it. It's like someone saying to us, Well, uh, we have paid your debt, but instead of being thankful to them, instead of resting, we, we go out labouring and trying to work and trying to get some money to pay the debt. And they'd say to us, What are you doing? Why are you spending all of that labour? You're saying, I'm trying to pay my debt. You say, But it's paid, it's done. What are you doing that for? And it, it slights that. Payment that's already been paid, it puts a a thought, well, it's not sufficient, it needs something added to it, and it's it's not rest for us, it's labour. And so the Gospel is believing fully and resting in what Christ has done, trusting in what Christ has done, not trying to steady the ark, as it were, not trying to work at work ourselves and especially not coming into that unbelief to think that the Lord cannot do what he has said he will do. The big test with the children of Israel right through the wilderness was that they did not obey the Lord. And when it came to the borders of Canaan, they saw the high walled towns They saw the giants. They saw what seemed to be impossibilities and they couldn't believe that God would overcome them. We might be the same. And this is the warning for all the people of God is that they look upon those things that are too hard for them, too great for them, and the temptation is to despair. So I can never get to heaven. I will never endure unto the end. And in that we are not trusting Christ. Where Christ gives us spiritual life, he will also maintain us. Paul says in in, in Romans chapter 4 and 5 that if while we were sinners Christ died for us, how much more being reconciled we shall be saved through his life. And if God has passed by us when we are in our sin and bid us live, he will give us every grace and every help to endure unto the end. He that endureth unto the end shall be saved, but no one will endure unto the end that trusts in their own selves, keeping their own selves strengthening their own selves by strength no man shall prevail the might the help must be of the lord so that is the second thing the third thing is this is making use of our high priest above and this is where we come to the words of our text if there is provided for the church of god which there is a high priest, one to appear in the presence of God for us, it is making use of it. Imagine if we had a friend in Buckingham Palace, a friend in high places, a friend that had access to those that had authority, had influence, and they had money, and we were in need, we needed money, we needed someone to help us, to speak a word for us, And we just sat and we complained about how poor we were. We had nothing and we didn't know what to do. And you'd say, but haven't you got a friend at Buckingham Palace? Haven't you got a friend that is mighty, that has authority, that has money? Why don't you ask them? We think that someone was foolish if they had such a friend and didn't ask. And yet we can be like that with the Lord and we don't ask, and we don't come to him. And it is very easy to pass over that. I had a real rebuke from the Lord many years ago in the early part of my ministry. I had three services coming up on the Lord's Day, and I was seeking for a text. I was seeking to prepare for the services, and I couldn't get any text, and I got more and more angry with the Lord. I say it to my shame. And I went before the Lord in prayer and I said to him, You have sent me into the ministry, but you're not giving me any tax, and you promised you would give me the tax. And I was real angry with the Lord. And when I finished in prayer, all that was heard was just a still small voice. You have not asked. And it was true. I'd gone into my study, I'd opened my Bible, I was searching through the Scriptures, I was trying to find a text, but I hadn't asked. And it was that simple. And you know, it so made me so ashamed and so humble before the Lord. And I've never forgotten that time. And there's many, many things in my life and I believe in yours as well. That is a simple thing. Ye have not asked. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Always try to remember that. In the ministry it would be a help uh, to each of the hearers as well. But in my case I missed out the first part. I just started seeking. That's all. That when we ask, then we can seek. And when the Lord gives his word, it might be like the Ethiopian eunuch, not understand it. But then it is knocking in prayer. Lord, what does this mean? Open this up to me. So I understand it. And so it's making use of our high priest above. It's coming There is asking, and our text says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there is, there is a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared in the presence of God for us. We have one made like unto his brethren, yet sin accepted. He is our advocate with the Father, not someone else's. And he is one that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The scripture puts it the other way around. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And it pictures a high priest in heaven and he doesn't feel for us, he's not moved, he's not touched, he has no compassion, he doesn't feel for us at all. We haven't got one like that. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sins. It's hard for us to really grasp how that could be so, that the eternal Son of God could be tempted or tried in all points like ourselves, yet no, no sin. So it is coming then. Let us come, therefore, because we have such a high priest, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I want to look then, three main points. Firstly, the times of need that the people of God will have. And then secondly, coming to the throne of grace, at such times, and we're told here, coming boldly. And then lastly, the reason for coming is spoken in two ways, to obtain mercy and to find grace to help. But firstly, the times of need the people of God will have. It's good for us just to realise this in God's plan and God's purpose. Unless the devil say, Well, you've been converted, you believe, everything will be all right. You won't have anything go wrong, no troubles at all. You just sail through life with a good hope of heaven, and you'll never get into a place that, like in Psalm 107, again and again, They fell down, there was none to help. And what was the changing point in every time? Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. The prayer, the crying to the Lord was their help. But it was falling down first and none could help. God's people do have times of need. So may right at the start we put a stop to the devil's lie in that put a stop to those temptations of thought, well, well, we should be, if we have grace, sufficient for everything. We should be able to meet every case and every trial and every need. And we don't even think we should have needs and should have troubles. But what does the Scripture say? Our Lord was so insistent on that. In me you shall have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation. Great trouble. The disciples, when they were to encourage the brethren in Acts, they said he must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. If we weren't already entering into tribulation, you'd think, well, that's a miserable encouragement in starting in the way of the Lord. But if you already were having many troubles, then that would be a great comfort. It would be a waymark that you weren't out, that you were still in the way. You know, if we were to be given directions to go from here uh, to London, and we were given those directions which to go, and we started to go in it, and we found a road with uh, much hindrances in it, potholes and really rough and horrible road, you'd think, surely we've we've taken the wrong road, this can't be right. But if the person before had said, this is the direction, and you'll find a road that's full of potholes, and it's a very rough road and a horrible road, instead of it being a discouragement, when we came upon all of those things, we'd say, ah, this is what we were told would be there, we must be in the right way. And so in the Scriptures, the Lord is very clear in that, in telling what his people are to encounter in the way. Tribulation. Then also we have it, as the Apostle says in Romans 7, the combat with sin. He says, The good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Every child of God, will have an adversary in sin, their own sin. The sin that is in the members. Sin that will be there even though we don't want it to be there. Sin that we love by our old nature, but by God's grace we hate. The old Puritans used to say that to impress upon the heart of a young believer that he is called to a daily battle with the corruptions of his own heart. Those corruptions will be there and they'll rise up and they'll be too much for you and I. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and it needs one outside of ourselves, not our own heart, to manage that heart and to deal with that. So that is something that is a time of need the people of God will have on a constant basis. He told with the Philadelphian church in Revelation 3 that the Lord would keep them in the hour of temptation and that shall also come upon all the earth. Temptation and trial. James, he says that a man is tempted when he is overcome of his own lust and carried away, it is not sin to be tempted. It is sin to give way to that temptation and go on in that way, but to resist it. We have no strength or power of our own. We rely on the Lord and rely on his authority. Let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall, And when the Lord spoke to Peter and says, Satan hath desired to have thee and to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Uh, And Peter says, though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. But Peter did deny his Lord, and he did need the Lord's Prayer. And though he denied his Lord, his faith still stood because our Lord had prayed that it would stand in that hour. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to have a thought in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him. We don't know exactly what that was. We could surmise what it was, but we don't know. But whatever it was, Satan made great use of that. And as dear friends I've known, have uh, said, when I've questioned, I said, well, how could that be? An affliction that causes that uh, because it's spoken of a messenger of Satan. And this was a man over in Australia and he had chronic arthritis. He used to have gold injections every three months. He looked at me, he said, Roland, he said, it is not the affliction, it is what Satan does through that affliction. How he stirs up and how he would poison us against the Lord or make us fretful and murmur and complaining and irritable is that which is the messenger of Satan. Those times of need the people of God will have. Another time of need will be under the chastening hand of God. There is none. That the Lord receives, we're told in Hebrews 12, he chastens every son whom he receiveth. And we're told that now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. If we are to profit through chastening, we need that help of the Lord. Otherwise, we rebel, we fight, we kick against it, we don't submit to it, we don't bow before the Lord. Then what is it when we fall? When we do fall into sin, when David fell into sin, with murder and with adultery, the recovering of the soul is of the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to him. And when you and I fall, we have the beautiful word in 1 John 1 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need help again to confess those sins and to bring them before the Lord our dealings with men as well we're told concerning the lord how that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself the apostles the early church they had much persecution the lord said i've given them thy word and the world hath hated them and we have interactions not just with the world but with the church of god as well And if we are to speak and walk graciously and kindly and to honour the Lord in all we do, we need help from our own spirit. When the disciples were with the Lord and the Samaritans didn't receive them, they said, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them, as Elias did? And the Lord said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. The Son of Man has come not to destroy men's lives but to save them and they had to learn the spirit of the Lord. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Our ways to rise up in anger to justify ourselves, to fight back whether with words or physically and yet the Lord's way is a different way. We may know that, but we need that help that our old nature is subdued and we don't rise up. The other way of help, and I believe that in a lot of ways this is what is pointed to here, is when we have sickness and affliction. Those things come upon the people of God. We're not to think or preach as some do, that, well, if we are the people of God, you will not have sickness, you will not have affliction, you'll always have health or strength. And if these things are taken, it's some indication that you're not a child of God. No, the people of God have many sicknesses, many afflictions in common with all of mankind. It is because of sin that the Lord gives for his people that help in those sicknesses and in those afflictions. We read of Elisha, even though he was able to do many miracles, yet at last he fell sick of the sickness whereof he died. And all of us here, this body one day must be laid in the tomb. We must die. And uh, those will be times of need when we come into that sickness and into that weakness when I go into the old people's homes and I see those who have led very active lives in ministry some of them I have known when they have been so active and then I've seen them come down I've seen them get dementia I've seen them helpless and dependent upon others and I've seen them need grace and help that they never thought they needed and didn't need early on in life. And certainly I've come into those things where maybe years ago I never needed help in a certain way. But as time has gone on and we've come into different things, we do need that help. So the times of need that the people of God will have, don't be surprised when you or I come into times of real need. The second thing then is coming to the throne of grace at such times. Our text says let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now there are many things that may prevent us from coming, especially boldly, to the throne of grace. We can think perhaps that the time of our need has come about because of something that we have done, some mistake, some sin. It's it's our fault. How can we expect the Lord to help us in such a situation? How can we boldly come if that is the case? Or if there are those thoughts that, well, maybe the people of God shouldn't even have these problems, they shouldn't even be in these troubles, then those things will stop us from coming to the throne of grace. May we be wary of anything that hinders our coming in prayer. The Lord told the parables that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And the word here is to encourage us to always pray, always come to the Lord. And it's good to begin, and to begin with telling the Lord of what that need is. When Abraham's servant was to get a wife for Isaac, At the well, he told what his mission was. He told what his need was. Then he made his petition. Jacob, when Esau was coming, he told the Lord that Esau was coming and how he feared for his wife, his children, his flocks and all that he had. He didn't hold back what his fears were. He didn't say, well... I've had the promise that it shall be from Isaac and the elder shall serve the younger and I must be one of God's children and I'm in the line to Christ, it'll be all right, don't worry about Esau coming, he can't hurt me. He didn't just trust in like that. He's not like us saying, well, I know I'm elect, I must be one of the children of God, so don't worry about these trials, it'll all be all right. And so we don't pray and we don't ask the Lord. Beware of whatever devices Satan might use or our own wicked heart in thinking, well, you don't need to pray, you don't need to ask. You think of the children of Israel when they came into the Promised Land and God told them to destroy all of the nations round about and the Gibeonites heard about it. And so then they took moldy bread and Their shoes all spoiled, their clothes all spoiled, and they came to them and made out they came from a long way away. And you know, the children of Israel, we read, they took of their victuals and asked not counsel of the Lord. In other words, they thought it was such a cut and dried, such an easy thing, they didn't need to ask the Lord. They could use their own judgment. And how far they fell. They found three days later they dwell amongst them and they'd been deceived. One of the times that we should most pray is when we think the thing is so easy and so simple we don't need to pray about this. But we do. And it is times of need to come to the throne of grace and to come boldly, not in an arrogant, careless way, Or in irreverent way, we come with the fear of the Lord, but we come boldly knowing we have God's authority, that the Lord is appearing in the presence of God, not for the righteous, not for those that don't have need, but for those that do. And may the thought be, if he is appearing in the presence of God, for others, why not for me? If he is our advocate with the Father, does that apply to everyone else but me? And so we are to come believing that this is the provision of God for us. It is amazing thing that God has ordained a way that he will hear sometimes not even audible prayers. You think of Hannah in the temple, Shiloh, And she is praying for a son. And Eli marked her lips. Her voice was not heard. He thought she was drunken, but she said, No, I'm a woman with a sorrowful spirit, and I poured out my heart, poured out. Just completely poured out her heart. That's another illustration of real prayer later on. You know, Eli says to her, the Lord, give thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. I don't think, she she didn't tell what her petition was. But later she comes back and says with Samuel, I am the woman. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition that I have asked of him. And she's able to clearly see and show forth the help and the answer to prayer that she's had there's one thing in coming to the throne of grace we not only get the help that we need but we also have a token for good and an answer to prayer in our hand and if we looked upon our times of need as an opportunity God has given us that we might have an answer from him And that he's given us something to go and pray about. Sometimes we can complain, we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. But God knows how to give us those prayers. I remember when the Lord first began to work in my heart and I lived on my own, just 20, and I bought my own house. And the Lord had begun with me and I knelt to the chair one day And to pray to the Lord. And as I knelt there, I couldn't think of anything to pray to the Lord. And as I knelt there, all manner of sinful and evil thoughts came into my mind. And I thought, this is a terrible thing. I'm in the attitude of prayer. I'm kneeling before the Lord in prayer. And all these sinful and evil thoughts are in my mind. And so I then started to pray. I confessed it before the Lord. I begged him to take away these evil thoughts and these things that were going on in my head. And after I'd prayed for some time like that, then I stopped. And I thought, that was a good prayer, wasn't it? That was a really nice prayer. And then I thought, well, one moment ago you didn't have prayer. And then you had evil thoughts, and now you're proud of the prayer that God gave you. And so I started praying again, confessing my pride and the evil of my heart in even taking the blessing of the Lord and being proud of that. One of our hymns says, The heart uplifts with God's own gifts and makes even grace a snare. We can. We can be proud of our graces, proud of our prayers. That was the Pharisees, wasn't it? They prayed to be seen of men. But in that way, the Lord teaches how to pray when it is real things that we go through. How how are our prayers? Are they day by day just the same prayers? Or did they change with the things that happen? I know in the ministry we do use the same phrases again and again. Years ago when we had a dog and we used to say in our home, come on Jack, it's time for the reading. He'd jump and sit on the settee and he'd sit up straight for the reading. Leave all his toys. And we'd have the reading and prayer. And I realised I, when I come to the end of the prayer, I use the same words. Because he'd start to whine before the amen. He knew when the prayer was coming to the end. As soon as the amen, he'd jump off the settee and pounce on his toys and he'd be playing with his toys. And I thought that dog—if that was a—if that was my child—if that was—I would think what a good child that is, sitting so boldly up, leaving the toys, paying attention to the reading. The poor dog had no soul or anything but it made realize how wrote or used words we can use are just the same all the time. And our heart is not going with it. We don't really know what we are saying. And so when we come boldly to the throne of grace, then it must be, is what I want to look on, the third point, that we have a reason for coming. A reason for coming. And in our text we read this, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Two things, obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything that we receive from the Lord is on mercy's ground. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything out of hell, and we come on mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, was the publican's prayer, and it's good for us to remember whatever we are asking, whatever it is, whether it is in the tribulation or sin in our members or being tempted, whatever it is, the thorn of the flesh or under temptation or in chastening of the Lord, we come on mercy's ground. We do not have anything in ourselves, but we plead for mercy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mercy seed is a blood-sprinkled mercy seed. It's not just any mercy, it's mercy at a price. It's because the price has already been paid. You read of when Ahab showed mercy to Ben-Hadad, It was said that because he had let go a man that God had ordained to utter destruction, then he would pay with his life for ben Hadad's life. But with the Lord, he dies, he suffers, he sheds his precious blood, he pays the debt of his people, and then he can show mercy justly and righteously for his people. We don't deserve it. But the Lord has died and he has paid the debt and he says that we may obtain mercy. And may we remember that everything that we receive is on mercy's ground. We won't then be chiding with the Lord and saying, you didn't give me what I deserved. I've done this right and I've done that right and I've obeyed you and you haven't done this, you haven't given me this. The children of Israel, they said to Jeremiah, they said, when we served the Queen of Heaven, we had everything, but now we're serving the Lord, now everything's going wrong. Jeremiah pointed out to them that they had done wrong in serving idols for a long while. Were they now to just expect that as soon as they changed, that the Lord was indebted to them? No, it is mercy, may we remember that. So, if anything that we receive, whatever we receive, we're not putting it in debt. The Lord is not our debtor. We're not demanding of Him. We're asking if it is His will and that He'll mercifully give us these things. So, that's the first thing. We come asking for mercy. If the Lord gives us answers, we'll receive it as mercy if we've truly been asking on mercy's ground. The second thing is to find grace to help in time of need. In all those situations that we mentioned, with the tribulation, with the sin in our members, with temptations, it is to obtain help from the Lord. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. When Jacob had prayed and when he last saw Esau's face and he was in peace, he said, I saw thy face as the face of an angel. It was an answer to prayer. He had been given that answer. There's a reason for coming. Hannah came and she was able to say, The Lord hath given me my petition that I asked. How much are our prayers... Able to be assessed as to an answer? Or do we go away and if someone was to ask us, what have you prayed for? What are you looking for for answers? You say, oh, I'm not sure. But if we pray and we're looking and watching for help and answers, then there'll be something as well we can come with thanksgiving because it is with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And if there's been no specific petitions, there'll be no thanksgiving. If there's not an Ebenezer raised, a thanks for the help given, then there is not that praise and glory to the Lord. Is a beautiful encouragement here, to find grace to help in time of need. Now, sometimes there will be a direct answer in time of need. Remember, dear brother in the faith, now in glory, he had a farm out near here in Kent, and and he was a shepherd. And one day he'd he'd lost a key, and he didn't know where to find that key. And he prayed the Lord would show him where this key was. And when he was out in the farm, he saw across the field one of his sheep lying down. He thought, why is that sheep lying down? All well, the others are standing up. So he went away to see what was wrong with it. And as he got right up to this sheep in the middle of this gray big field, the sheep got up, and underneath the sheep was the key. And the Lord used that way to show him where that key was. And so in that there's an answer to prayer, like with Hannah, it's a specific thing. But the word of our text says, find grace to help in time of need. Another promise is like this, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Not he shall take the burden away, but sustain thee. It's like with the Apostle Paul, with the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, He did pray that it be taken away, but it wasn't taken away. But the Lord gave him something better and he gave him grace to bear it, able to bear it. And you and I might have a trial this morning, a trouble, an affliction, a weakness, circumstance, improvidence, something that maybe we have prayed that the Lord will take away and change. And instead... The Lord would have us to come again and again to his throne of grace to find grace to help, to be able to bear it. The apostle's assessment of that was that I will therefore glory in my infirmity. When I am weak, then am I strong. And he could see that help that the Lord was given him day by day to bear with that. And we need to bear that in mind. Sometimes we only assess... The effectiveness of our prayers if the Lord changes the circumstance, takes away the trouble, gives us what we want, instead of giving us the right spirit and grace to be able to bear that trouble and bear that affliction. Are we fretting about things this morning, troubled about things, trying to get out from underneath it, trying to change it? And the Lord says, no, it won't be changed, but I'll give you grace and I'll give you help. I'll give you the strength of mind and spirit to be able to endure it and to be upheld day by day. And this is why we come to the throne of grace, to find grace to help in time of need. We read, he giveth more grace and grace for grace he gives saving grace and then he gives the grace of the spirit of prayer and supplication. And then he gives that grace of help in times of need. This all comes from the Lord and we trace it to the Lord. And I hope that those of us here this morning that we can trace that grace given and that help given. The Apostle says, having received help of God, I continue until this present day. And we will, if we continue to receive that help in the way the Lord has chosen to lead us. We will endure unto the end. And we won't be like the unbelieving Israelites who didn't get into Canaan. or will be like those who do endure unto the end and are brought to heaven at last. So he bringeth them, we read in Psalm 107, unto their desired haven. By the Lord at His blessing, Amen.